tragedy. Life is a mixture uh, of comedic events and tragic disappointments and hurt. That's why the ancient Greeks, when they uh, uh, invented what we would call modern drama that started with the ancient Greeks, uh, they believed there were two types of plays, two types of dramas. There was either a comedy uh, or a tragedy. And uh, the love stories in the ancient Greek world, they were considered comedic. They were considered uh, comedies because they uh, had a joyful ending, uh, but things that uh, ended sadly, uh, plays that had turns in them that brought heartbreak and disappointment, those were tragedies. And you may remember seeing the ancient mask that the Greek choruses would wear. Uh, when the plays would be acted out in ancient Greek, there would be a chorus, kind of like our, our choir, and at certain parts in the plays, the chorus would chant certain phrases or say certain things to go along uh, with the dialogue. And they would wear one of two masks. If it was a tragedy, they would wear a mask uh, with the sad look on it. And if it was a comedy, uh, a story with a joyful ending or a happy ending, they would wear a mask uh, with a smile up, upside right. I bet this week there are lots of people in this room I bet this room is filled with people this week that have both laughed in the face of life and also shed tears this week. Most of us have probably laughed, and if we've not shed literal tears, there's been a part of our heart that has broken a little bit this week, whether it's been over public tragedy or tears that have come from some private place over some private thing that nobody else knows. The late lead singer of a group that was popular when I was coming up, uh, Chris Cornell of Soundgarden, he said once at, a, at a, a funeral time, he said, there's a sadness to anyone that dies before their time, specifically ones that seem to affect people in a positive way. It doesn't matter if it's Whitney Houston or a nameless, faceless person on the street. Death is a tragedy. And Chris Cornell was right about that. Death is a tragedy because the Bible makes it so clear we were made to live, we were made to thrive, not just to exist, but to live and thrive in God's good and ordered creation. And yet sin, and the fruit of sin, death, will not let any of us be. In the book of Acts that we've been preaching through, we're going to see this morning uh, a tragedy a pain that occurs. And this young man is a man named Eutychus who died at church. So this morning, let's look together at Eutychus' tragic midnight death and then the celebration that followed until daybreak. Turn to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, and we will read verses 1 through 12. Uh, now, I mentioned uh, that Eutychus is going to die um, at church and this was an extraordinarily long service and we'll talk about that in a moment it was a long service and I've told the Wednesday night group and maybe some that come on Sunday night too uh, a few weeks ago my mom and I uh, had the boys in the back seat and were, uh, we were leaving a soccer game and, and uh, stuff and the boys had been with friends that day and hanging out with them and mom and I were taking the boys and I told mom uh, I said, Mom, I think people really, really enjoyed the service today because I've got a number of text messages from people just saying how great it was today. And uh, Owen, my youngest in the back seat, and Owen overhears this, and uh, Owen said, 
great service today, Dad? And I remember he'd been with friends, and I said, yeah, so it was a great service. Huh, who was preaching today? It's not an amen, that's inappropriate. First grade, who was preaching? Uh, I'm not going to preach till midnight, and if you die on me, it's your fault, all right? Here we go, Acts chapter 20, uh, starting in verse 1. After the uproar was ceased, uh, Paul was called unto the disciples, unto, unto them, uh, unto his disciples, embraced them, and departed to go into Macedonia. Now remember, uh, they had been at Ephesus, and at Ephesus was the great temple of Diana that we saw last week. Uh, and and um, it was a temple of prostitution in a lot of ways. Their worship was bound up with prostitution, and uh, we saw that last week. And, and, and the Christians come in, and... Uh, and all of a sudden people start getting saved and people start uh, believing in Jesus and some people that used to go to the temple and used to engage in these activities uh, they're not there anymore remember the temple of Diana is huge it's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world it's bigger than the Parthenon was which we have a replica of in Nashville so you can imagine just how how, how, how big that was and um, and you can imagine all the stuff that was going on there and so so what happens? Well, basically a union, a union of silver workers that made idols for the Temple of Diana. We saw last week they got angry, they got upset, and they went after the Christians and drug them into the arena. And the believers kept Paul away. We're not told why, but they would not. It almost seems like they restrained Paul from going. Uh, I guess maybe they were afraid that Paul would be put to death. And uh, it wasn't his time. That would come later. Uh, but the, the uproar has ended because basically, remember last week if you are here, a politician got up in the middle of this uh, kind of like Titan Stadium would be, uh, where all the folks were, and they brought the, these new believers in and, and basically ready to kill them. And a politician stood up, we saw, and said, hey, if we do this, if we engage in this mob activity and we kill these Christians, Rome is going to come down here. And the city of Ephesus had a good deal worked out with the Roman Empire that basically they could govern their own city and said, if we do this, Rome's going to hear about it and they're going to send troops in, and it's never good when the army shows up. This is not good. And so a politician gets up and does what politicians does and, and, and talks them down and says, don't do this, don't do this. Uh, if you need to take it to court, take it to court. And, and, and so they didn't kill him. Uh, the politician there was able to talk him out of it. After the uproar was ceased, verse 1 of chapter 20 says, Paul called unto him the disciples, embraced them, departed to go into Macedonia. And we had gone over these parts and given them much exhortation. He came to Greece and there abode three months. And the Jews laid wait for him, right? So particularly Jewish leaders, because remember, uh, there are Jews and Gentiles becoming followers of Christ, and this is upsetting uh, the Jewish way of things as well. And so this time they're waiting for him. They laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, as he proposed to return into Macedonia. And then it gives us some names, and I'll tell you why we get those names. They accompanied him unto Asia, uh, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, uh, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothys of Asia and Tychicus and Trophimus. Why are we told all these? Why are we just giving these names randomly? Well, it's not random. Remember, Paul is carrying an offering back to the Jerusalem church because they are suffering. Uh, they, they have been hurting and they've been persecuted. And they've Paul's been raising funds for them. And it seems like uh, the places he went, they would send a representative with him. Probably for two reasons. One reason was the more people traveling together with this money that he's taking back to Jerusalem means if you're going to try to attack them and steal this money, you've got your crew, you've got your posse, you've got your, your groups. It's going to be harder to get that from them. 
Another reason is probably accountability, right? I mean, from, if there are different people from different areas and you've taken these big offerings, then probably the individual from your area, church area, is giving accountability for the funds as well. So this, I think, is for both protection and it's also for accountability for this probably sizable offering that he is carrying back. So it can be reported, hey, Paul did not pilfer these funds. They were used what they were supposed to be used for. Uh, and so we're just told this group that's traveling, traveling with him. Uh, the four tarried for us at Troas, verse 6, and we sailed away. So Luke, who's writing Acts, is with them. We, we sailed away from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread. So apparently they stayed for the festival of unleavened bread. They came unto Troas in five days where we abode seven days. It took them five days to get there. We stayed there seven days. And here we go. Upon the first day of the week on a Sunday, the disciples came together to break bread. Paul preached unto them, ready, getting ready to part on the morrow, the next day. And he continued his speech until midnight. So probably, uh, remember, uh, they, most of these folks uh, are working for other people. And Christianity is not the main game in town. Sunday is not a day off like it is today. Most of them probably working during the day. And so they gather for evening services on Sunday and Paul starts preaching, and he stays until midnight, right? He's teaching them this is a big deal. He's there. Uh, this is a, 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 an opportunity that doesn't come around a lot. And so here you have Paul who's teaching them and instructing them in the Word of God. So they're going to stay for a long time uh, to hear this. So it's at night. He continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber, and they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus. Being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down the third loft and was taken up dead. He falls basically three stories and he dies. Now, I've heard a lot of bad sermons about Eutychus in my life, basically getting on to kids about not falling asleep, which they, you need to teach kids not to fall asleep in church. But Eutychus, if he'd been working all day and then comes to a meeting at night and it's going until midnight, the text doesn't give any indication that this is some loafer loafing off. It doesn't say anything like that. It's, and in fact, he's there and he's been listening to this for a while and he falls asleep. I have a lot of mercy for that. Uh, I, I've told some of you, one of my, when I came back to pastor, came back, you know, been gone for 13 years. My home church came back and right back there, a couple rows in front of Terry Chaff in the back row, right over in that section. Uh, we used to have uh, uh, two services for a little while under David Crow, and I would come to the 830 service, and I would sit right back there, and I would send Ronnie Stout and Frieda Stout and Rachel would sit back there, and the Glovers would sit back there, and Amy and Lisa would sit, and I'd sit with them. And uh, one Sunday, you know, I've told this story, one Sunday and a Sunday morning, I'd been up way too late, probably in 11th, 12th grade, been up way too late, and I was sitting next to Gail Glover, and Al was on the other side, and Brother David was preaching, and, you know, Brother David was a fiery preacher, an exuberant preacher, and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I had fallen over on Gail. And, and you know, I was super embarrassed until I looked over, and Al had fallen asleep on the other side of Gail. Same thing. Well, this is not one of those deals. Probably been working all day. He's now listening to preaching all night. Eutychus falls asleep. He's sitting up. Uh, in, this, in this window, falling asleep, it says, verse 9, as Paul was long preaching, he saw, see, even, I mean, even Luke, who's Paul's buddy, wants you to know, it was a long, I mean, it was a lot of preaching. He sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. 
And Paul went down and fell on him. So it's almost like in the Old Testament, like something Elijah or Elisha might do. He comes and he embraces him. And he tells the others that are down there gathered around, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, and had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till the break of day, they stay until the morning time, eating, celebrating. You can imagine the talk that Eutychus, who had died, has been revived, and then he departed. Verse 12, they brought the young man alive. And we're not a little comforted. Now that's the understatement of the year, Mr. Luke. Uh, not a little comforted. It was exuberant. It was exciting. It was life-changing. Eutychus' death was a tragedy. Here was a young man who could have been up all night doing all sorts of things, uh, burning the midnight oil, not at the prayer meeting, but drinking, gambling, chasing after Uh, the prostitution sex that would have been available at the temples where he was at. He could have been doing all kinds of things, and instead, he's there listening to Paul preach. Literally, they were burning the midnight oil as Paul preached the gospel. This is a reminder to us. There's a false theology, and there are those who would teach us that if you do everything right, then everything's going to go good for you. And my friends, that's not true. It is not true that in this sinful, fallen world, that if you do everything right, that everything will go good for you. It does mean that if you do what's right in the eyes of the Lord, I do believe it will be better for you, most certainly the longer I live, the longer I watch those who have made certain choices and what they do to their lives versus those that live according to the plain teaching of the Bible, I absolutely believe it will be better for you and in the long run it will be good for you because you will be with Jesus. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean if you listen to Brother Mark in youth group and you try to live for the Lord and you try to make the right choices, it does not mean that everything will be good for you because Jesus made every right choice, right in the sense that it honored God the Father, he made every right choice and this sinful world put him on a cross. So at Eutychus we see a young man who's there doing the right thing but we realize that life is not always a comedy, it's also a tragedy and here is a tragedy tragedy that here is Eutychus, this young man that is there at this church meeting and we are reminded that bad things don't just happen to bad people, they happen to good people as well. In John 16.33, Jesus told his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now for the disciples, he's saying if you follow me, you're going to have trouble because there's going to be those that have over, uh, who have opposed me. But he says, I want you to know in the midst of that, you will have peace. So will everything be good for you if you make all the right choices? No, but you can have peace with God. And I can tell you from many times at the hospital at the end of life or at a nursing home or with hospice, at the end of life, that means a lot. When you're finishing the race, to know that through Jesus there is peace in your life, that is a powerful, powerful thing. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble. 
for the disciples, trouble for following Jesus as part of humanity. We face the same trouble that all humans face because of sin and the effects of sin on everything. The great thing about sports is sports can help, help teach kids these kind of lessons uh, and how things happen. And, and, and yesterday was a big, big teaching moment uh, for my boys. Uh, and Brother Greg and Miss Annette, they saw this. Um, Owen's playing up with Ethan in basketball, so he's playing with bigger kids. He's playing with third and fourth graders, and he's in first grade, and, and so he's playing with them. And uh, playing basketball, and he's the top of the zone defense, and they decided to set a screen, to set a screen on him. Uh, and so Owen is doing the right thing, what we've taught him. He's right position where he was supposed to be. And he was doing everything just right. But uh, third, fourth grade, they don't quite understand yet. You've got to let your teammate know, hey, somebody's about to set a pick on you. And a pick's just literally a pick. You, you stand right there, and they run right into you. And so Owen was doing everything right, just like we taught him, and then bam. And, I mean, when he hit that kid, I could see from the other end of the court where I was coaching, I could see when he hit him, I saw Owen. I mean, he, he went up like that, and he got smacked. Well, it was done, and we left. And uh, before us, the, the kids his age had played, and they, they play on eight-foot goals and all this stuff, and he's playing with the bigger kids. Well, he said something he's never said before. We, we go to get in the car, and he said, Dad, he's, he's always wanting to be with his brother and play with him. We got in the car, and he said, Dad, why don't you just let me play with kids my age? Well, I didn't really think anything about it, baby. I didn't think, I didn't think much about it. Until last night, we were putting him in bed, and I thought about how he got smacked. And I leaned over his bed where he was, and I said, hey, buddy, that pick was pretty ferocious in that game today, wasn't it? And he looked up at me, and he said, Dad, that's why I said I wanted to play with the kids my age. Got smacked. Sometimes you can be doing the right thing. You can be in the right place. And life's going to smack you hard. And I can't stand these preachers and these teachers and these phony people out here that just want to give you a little fake gospel and tell you that everything is okay all the time. Listen, it's okay with Jesus all the time because we're with Him and we have peace. But sometimes, folks, can we just be real this morning? Life is going to smack you upside the head. And if you've been playing the fake game and you've been playing the phony game, and you've been playing the pretend game, when that happens, you will crumble, and you will wilt, and you will not be able to make it. But Jesus says, let me tell you something, when life smacks you as hard as it's ever going to smack you, it's already smacked me because it put me on a cross, and it killed me, and if you stay with me, I'll keep you safe. We'll ride right through this. If you're glad to know that Jesus will take you through the trials, say amen. Life is tragedy. And life is comedy. It's a mixture of both. There's a sadness to life. And here we see, we see uh, with Eutychus, we see the tragedy of life that a, that a young man doing the right thing in the right place falls asleep. A human, a human thing. He's been up all night. He falls asleep, falls out of a window, and dies. Look at verse 9 again. He did die, by the way. There sat in the window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep fell down to the third loft and was taken up dead. Now remember, Acts is written by a doctor. It's written by Luke. And Luke happened to witness this event. And he uses the Greek word nekros. And nekros means dead. Nekros means dead. That word is used 132 times in the New Testament. Every single time it means dead. Not just senseless, 
not just knocked senseless, not just knocked unconscious. He is dead. It is necro. He has died. We saw earlier a few weeks ago that Paul was stoned, and it said there that they thought he was dead, and the text is a little ambiguous about whether he actually died or not. It is not ambiguous here. This is not just a, a, a matter of reviving him. He has died. He is dead. They knew that Eutychus had passed away. A midnight tragedy, one of millions in our world. When Cain killed Abel, tragedy. When none would listen to Noah and repent from sin before the flood came, tragedy. When Abraham betrayed his wife by telling the Pharaoh that she was his sister instead of his beloved, tragedy. When Samson dishonored his parents and chased after Delilah tragedy when Eli refused to discipline his boys and they used the priesthood for evil tragedy when God's son Jesus was arrested in the middle of the night spat upon beaten crucified tragedy the public or private pain in your life this week this month this year maybe for some of you since your childhood it is tragic sometimes when it rains sometimes it when it rains, it seems that the world is laughing with joy. You ever have those summer showers that it seems great? Other times the dark clouds come in and it seems that the world itself is weeping for all the pain that she has seen. Eutychus was where he should have been, supposed to be. And yet he fell out of a window and he died. This cursed world is full of tragedy. So we must be honest about this. But praise the Lord, we didn't gather on this Lord's Day, we didn't gather on this Sunday morning to only talk about the tragedy, because we also see a great praise event that happens. Tragedy is not the last word of this story, and it is not the last word for us, and it was not the last word for God's Son, Jesus. If tragedy comes at the midnight hour, our text also reminds us that the people went on to celebrate until the daybreak. Verse 9, look at it again. There sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus fell into a deep sleep. Paul preaches long. He sunk down with sleep, fell down from the third loft, was taken up dead. Verse 10, Paul went down, fell on him, embraces him like something out of the Old Testament prophets. Trouble not yourselves, for the life is in him. And when he therefore had come up again, they broke bread, they ate, they talked a long while, even till the break of day. Then he departed. They brought the young man alive, and they were greatly, not just a little bit, they were greatly comforted, worshiping until daybreak. Here is a sign that is broken in into the tragedy of the world, of what God is going to do for all who trust in Jesus. Life, not death. Even in the midst of your tragedies this week, there is hope. There is hope for God's people. And so we worship, we praise we press on towards the prize before us, the prize of an eternal living rest with God. These believers, they worshiped, they broke bread. In the midst of our joys and our sorrows, we break the bread of communion as well to remember that Jesus is present with us, that he died for us. We break the bread of the Word of God. Every Sunday we read it together, we preach through it, we study it, we listen to it. In the midst of our sorrows, we break the communion bread. We break open the bread of life. We look to Jesus, the living bread of life. We look to Him for guidance, for direction, for the one that will take us through the storms of life. 
Jesus, speaking of breaking bread and celebrations, Jesus in Matthew 22, 2, said the kingdom of heaven uh, can be, should be compared to a king who gives a wedding feast for his son. We not only mourn for sin and are honest about the tragedy of it, we also celebrate Jesus. Jesus who loves us and who has honored the heavenly Father by being obedient unto death and dying for our sin. If you're glad today that there's more to this world than tragedy, there's life in Christ, say amen. My sister, they, uh, they live in Charlotte. And uh, they're in the process of, of switching churches. And, and uh, you know, there are good reasons and bad reasons for doing that. And one of the reasons my sister told me about was um, the, the individual that's kind of over uh, teaching the kids her daughter's age. The story of Lazarus came around, which, of course, Lazarus, uh, you know, Lazarus, he died. And Jesus cried over that. Jesus cried over that tragedy and was broken by that. And uh, Jesus showed up and, and uh, brings him back from the dead and gives us the same thing Paul's doing, a sign of what God wants to do. He wants to give us life. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of life. And my sister was telling me that the individual that's responsible at their church for the kids won't teach that story. And she wanted to know why. And they said, now, again, her, I mean, her girls, they're not, they're not super young, but even if they are super young, kids need to know this story. And said, we're not going to teach them that because the fact that somebody died and comes out of that tomb, that'll be scary to the kids. Folks, Jesus died and came out of a tomb. And I'll tell you the other thing. My, my sister, I'm talking about this, and I said, you're kidding me. And she said, no. And she said, there are other stories that he won't. And again, there are some things, which is why we have children's church, there are some things that adults need to be told that the Word of God says that it is true, that kids, they don't, they don't have to know all that yet or in a way that's understandable to them. But listen, I told my sister, I said, this is horrible because you know what you're doing when you take Lazarus out and you take stories out like that? You're robbing, you're robbing the boy or girl whose mother or father has already died. And we are lying to ourselves as a society. Let me, the, yeah. People go to hospitals now to die a lot. Used to be they were in your home and you couldn't play this kind of game. And you're, you're, you're denying that child whose mother or father has died. You are denying them the hope that Jesus cares for them and loves them and that has broken Jesus' heart that their mother and father died because of sin and what it's done to this world, just like with Lazarus. And I said, that's not fair to a child to take that story out. They, kids need to know as much as adults that Jesus weeps over their mother and father as well. He wept over all of us, which is why he left heaven to take on death itself so that we could live. My friends, there is tragedy, but praise the Lord, we can celebrate because tragedy is not the last word. Jesus has overcome. He has overcome. And as soon as a child is old enough to understand that, it is the obligation of the church to let them know that Jesus loves them that he died for them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So they not only mourned, but they got a little taste, a little inbreaking of God's kingdom, God's way in this world that's a kingdom of life. And Eutychus uh, is given life again. In Luke 15, 22 through 24, Jesus lets us know that the same God that judges sin, 
that has looked at the tragedy of this world and what sin has done to this world and says, that's not right, that's not what I made this for, and there must be a punishment for this wrong. The same God who judges our sin also celebrates us. Did you know that? We celebrate God and God celebrates us. You go, what do you mean God celebrates us? You know how God celebrates us? Because once we were lost and now Jesus has brought us home. In telling about this, Jesus told a story. Uh, There was a young son that wandered away, that went away, uh, that did not go the way that the father wanted. And he took his inheritance and he wasted it. And he just just lived life uh, in all the wrong ways, made all the wrong, wrong choices. And finally it broke him. And finally in the story that Jesus told, this young son goes home and the father was waiting for him. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, The father said to his servants, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And then they begin to celebrate and have the celebration. You see, God celebrates when we return home through what his son has done for us. Life is full of midnight tragedies. But the people of God, you and me, those who have been touched and changed by Jesus, who trust Jesus, those who are looking for his glorious appearance, we mourn at midnight for the pain of this world, but we also rejoice. We rejoice and celebrate until daybreak because we know what Jesus has done. And we know what he will do when he returns. Eutychus was a sign, a foretaste of God's restorative power. The power of Jesus over sin. And even Jesus' power over the ultimate fruit of sin, death. So this morning, my friend, maybe you have been struggling. Maybe you have wept the midnight tears. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to take those tears and to give them to Jesus. Do not hide them. Do not run from them. Do not be dishonest about them. But my friend, take those tears to Jesus and he will view them as worship at his feet. Sinner as sin brought one tragedy after another to you. Look to Jesus. Rejoice in who Jesus is and what he has done. And when you do that, you will find your song again. Christian, you feel beat down, worn down. The bad news is the world is going to keep throwing rocks at you. Rocks to break and crack your soul. Owen keeps playing ball. That won't be the first pick. That'll be one of many that somebody's going to lay right on him. But you know what happens when you get older in ball? When you get older, there's, the kids get smarter. And those kids that are behind you, they tell you, look out, there's a pick coming. Look out, there's a pick coming. Now in basketball, you still got to work through that yourself. But can I tell you today, in life, when the life throws those picks at you and ready to knock you down, Jesus doesn't just say, look out, it's coming. Jesus says, come on and I'll get you through it. I'll get you through it. Christian, you don't have to play games this morning. You don't have to pretend that it's not been a struggle. Take that struggle to Jesus. Don't let this world break your soul, break your purpose, break what God's doing in you. Listen, you stay with Jesus. This morning there is an assurance that you are not alone. You are not alone. Jesus loves you. 
And so we praise Him in this place. We came to praise and worship Jesus today because life is full of midnight tragedies. But Eutychus reminds us that life is also full of praise for those that are looking to the living power of the Lord. Now one day, that's the great story of the Bible, isn't it? It all falls apart in the garden. Everything goes wrong. Everything goes haywire. One disaster after another. But Jesus says, don't worry. I've gone to prepare a place for you. I've gone to prepare a place for you that where it is, you may also be there. In Revelation, Cecil read it. We are told that city's coming. It's coming. And are you ready for it? Are you ready for that city that's coming? That new Jerusalem? That city where Jesus will be the light of that city and we will know his presence. Now, now we, have, we have a sense of that presence with the Holy Spirit in us and that he saved us. But there we'll experience it in a, in, a, in a different way, a unique way. My friend, are you ready for that new Jerusalem? If you're ready, say amen. You looking for that city? If you've cried some midnight tears, you're probably looking. You're probably ready. You're ready. There's one way to be ready. That's to take the pain, take the suffering, take that hidden sin that nobody knows about, to lay it down at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know I'm wrong, but I want to live. I want to live. And Jesus, I'm going to trust you. The Bible says when you turn, when you take that tragedy and you give it to Jesus, sinner, when you give your life to Jesus, see, some of you, your whole life's a tragedy. Your whole life's a tragedy because sin's got you right where it wants you. And Jesus says, come give me your life. Lay your life down. Lay it right there because I laid my life down for you. Sinner, if you want to live today, come. Come to Jesus and live. If you're glad it's more than tragedy, there's also praise till daybreak. Say amen. We're going to sing that song. Musicians, come on. We're going to sing that song. And while we sing, listen, if you, maybe you got some pain, some suffering, some tragedy today. Don't, don't play any games. Don't waste your time playing games today. But bring it and let be a praise at Jesus' feet. Lay it down at Jesus' feet this morning. Sinner, you need life. Come and Find it in Jesus. Listen, you sing, you praise, you lift your hands, you come pray, you do whatever you need to do. We're going to give God the glory and the honor as we sing about that place He's prepared for us, a new Jerusalem. Father God, Lord, use this message, use this word from Eutychus. Help us to be honest about the pain of life, but help us to rejoice in the living that we've been given through the power of Jesus. Lord, right now, just... Accept this praise to your name. And Lord, if there's one who needs to be saved, if there's one who needs to ring a care and lay it down, needs other to pray with them, Lord, I pray during this time that they would come, the church would pray and lift up with them. Lord, just let your Holy Spirit move. Lord God, we ask this in Jesus' name.